Good to be with you. If you're here in the room with us, if you're joining us online, we're thankful that uh, you're here today and um, appreciate Chris and our worship team leading us in worship this morning and Randy for his thoughts. I want to I begin this morning uh, just with one, uh, one announcement commercial that I want to make you aware of. Uh, most of you probably picked up a bulletin when you came in the, in the door today. If you didn't and you're in the room, do that. If not, this information is also on our website and our Facebook page. Uh, but I want to I start today by highlighting something that we are bringing back uh, after a several-year hiatus. Um, it's on, the information about it is on the inside cover of the bulletin, and that is Serve Day. Serve Day is, uh, is going to happen this year on March 26th. The last time we did Serve Day was 2019. Uh, we were planning to do it in 2020, and then COVID happened and the world changed, and we ended up canceling it. Um, but we are we're planning to do it today, and I want to I want to uh, planning to do it this year, and I want to take a minute to to talk about it because uh, since 2019, we have a number of new folks, and some of you are like I, I've heard people talk about Serve Day, but I don't know what you I don't know what it is, I don't know what's going on, and so. Serve Day is uh, simply stated, it's just a day that we set aside every year that we dedicate toward serving our county, uh, really beyond our county, and uh, we partner on Serve Day with all sorts of organizations, some of our mission partners, uh, other organizations in our city, in our county, in our area, and we do all sorts of service projects. There will be project, service projects that uh, are available for people of all skill levels and all ages. And, uh, and so the day will we'll we'll start like it normally does. We'll be here for worship. Uh, and then after worship, we will go toward uh, the gym and we'll have a short lunch together. And then we'll scatter around the city, around the area to do service projects. There's things for kids to do. So if you have kids, uh, there are projects for kids to do as well. You can do with them or you can send them with me or somebody else if you want a break, you know, for the day. Uh, some of you might take me up on that. But uh, we're doing it different this year, and so I want you to really pay attention to this. This might, might be, you know, a little bit of a, a curveball for some of you. So uh, we are not doing, usually we've done sign-ups in the foyer, and we are not doing that this year. We are going digital, and so all of our sign-ups are going to be online, and that QR code that's there on the screen, you can uh, scan. If you don't know how to do that, you open up the camera on your phone, and you you hold it toward that image, and it'll take you to a, it'll pull up a thing, you know, a link, and you'll touch that link. It'll take you to a website, and you'll sign up, and you'll see all the projects. I think we have close to 20 projects that we've organized. Uh, if if you're not familiar with this, uh, one thing I do want you to know as well is that one of our favorite parts as a stat church staff about Serve Day is that this is something we do with some other area churches. So this year. Uh, Grace Fellowship Church uh, here in Kaufman and Country Bible Church are also participating with us. So one of the reasons we're doing the signups this way is that it makes it a lot easier to kind of keep track uh, if people from different churches sign up. There may be a couple of other churches that we've talked to that are still considering being a part of that, and so it also makes it easier for other people to join and you know, to participate if they decide to do that. So uh, I want you to mark your calendars for March 26th. If you're planning to be out of town and you already know that, I want you to change your plans and plan to be in town uh, because we have not done this in four years, five years, however long it's been, and, um, and it's going to be a really special day, and I want you to be a part of it. Uh, there's something for everybody to do, and so make plans to be a part of that. If you have questions, uh, you can ask 
uh, me or Chris or Andrew or Diana, and uh, we've been working together with uh, some of the other churches to kind of get this day pulled together. So we're really, <clears throat> really excited about that, and I hope that you will begin to be as well and be uh, praying about that day that God will use our efforts uh, to bless the lives of people in our city and our county and beyond. And so uh, we'll talk some more about that in the next several weeks, but really starting signups today and wanted to emphasize that today as we begin uh, together. So I want to ask if you would pray with me before we, uh, before we jump into God's word together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much uh, for this new day, for the promise that your mercy is new today and that uh, we are the recipients of that mercy. And we ask, Father, now as we open your word together that you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see so that we might live in the way that you want us to live, Father, as your people uh, who are embracing this command to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with you all the days of our life. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to begin our time this morning before we look at Micah 6, 8 with uh, a story, a funny story. Uh, and I, I really, you need to know that I really try hard to not always tell sports stories. I do love sports, uh, but I try hard to not tell sports stories as illustrations in sermons. But uh, today is Super Bowl Sunday, as Randy's already pointed out in his communion uh, reflection. And so it seemed like today, of all the days... Today was a good day to tell this particular story that I'm going to tell. And uh, the story is about a guy years ago, uh, the, a guy that played in the NFL named Fred Arbonis. Uh, now, f- this is actually a picture of Fred. And um, Fred was an all-pro tight end uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. But what's interesting about Fred is that he only had one good eye. The other eye was actually a glass eye. And, um, and so during his career, uh, there was a, year, a particular year where the Chiefs, like this year, were playing in the Super Bowl. And so as the story goes, the game is going, the Super Bowl is happening, and Fred gets hit hard by another guy on the other team, and his glass eye pops out, which obviously is a problem. And so, you know, everybody starts scrambling, the game is, is stopped, and eventually they find the dislodged eye call for the water boy, I guess, and they wash it off, and, you know, Fred pops the glass eye back in. One of the referees that day was a guy uh, named Tommy Bell, and Tommy did not know that Fred had a glass eye. In fact, until that day, millions of people didn't know that Fred had a glass eye, and Tommy couldn't believe himself. He was stunned. He goes over to Fred in the middle of the game during a break, and he says, he says, Fred, look, look, I don't believe what's going on. He's like, you have your whole life ahead of you. You have, you have your future, your family. You have your, this, I know this is your security, your profession, your livelihood, but everything depends on your eyesight. He said, you've already lost one eye. Like, what would you do if you lost the other eye? You've got to be careful. And without missing a beat, Fred said, well, Tommy, if I lost my other eye, I guess I'd have to become a referee like you. And I tell that story because it is appropriate for today, but also mostly to remind us of this. Vision matters. And how we see, how we see influences how we live. How we see influences how we live. Now, physical sight, of course, is part of that, but that's not really what I'm talking about. How we see spiritually is what I'm talking about. And it's important 
to have clear spiritual vision. And one way that we, that we have clear spiritual vision is to be clear about what God wants, which is what this entire sermon series has been about. And if you're just joining us for the first time this Sunday or just watching this particular sermon online, today's the last day in this series that we've been in over the last several weeks, looking really at one verse in the Bible or using that verse as kind of a way to anchor our conversation. And this verse is one of the great verses in all of the Bible, the kind of verse that you hang on your wall, the kind of verse that you memorize, the kind of verse that you have written down in the margin of your journal. And it's spoken by the prophet Micah, found in Micah 6, 8. And I believe that in this verse, the prophet Micah is trying to help us see clearly. He's trying to help us have good vision about what it is that God wants, a, a very clear picture of what it is that God wants of us so that we can have good spiritual eyes. And so one more time, I want to look at this verse together at what Micah says in Micah 6 verse 8. This is what he says. He says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Back in week one of this series, I, I mentioned to you that in the time that Micah spoke these words, the people of Israel were under threat from the people of Assyria, the nation of Assyria. Right outside Israel's borders, Assyria was waiting and was sort of, and Israel's anticipating that any day Assyria might attack, attack them. And so God sends Micah and also the prophet Isaiah to speak to the people. And, and Micah's main job is to help people wake up and pay attention to God's voice in their lives, to be attentive to the things that is required, the things that are required of them. And so the, as, as I said in week one, I'm just reminding you because it's still important about what we're going to talk about today. The problem was that Israel, aware of Assyria, thought that their main problem was Assyria and the Assyrian army that was outside their borders. But what Micah reveals to them in throughout the, the, the book, but also specifically in this verse, is that their biggest problem is not Assyria. Their biggest problem wasn't what was happening outside their borders, but what was happening within their borders. And so Micah speaks these words really as a sort of rebuke, not for missing church or not for not giving enough money, not for doing, you know, not for the, some of the things that you, you might think that he might be kind of getting on to them. He's, he's rebuking them for failing to treat people as human beings who are made in the image of God, for failing to love their neighbors as they love themselves. Because what was happening, and we looked at this in week one, you can go back and listen to that sermon, I'm not going to go all the way through that, but what, would, what had been happening and the reason he spoke these words is that the rich in Israel had been exploiting and taking advantage of and mistreating the poor, right? There was exploitation and dishonesty in the marketplace. As people would go and buy and sell goods and services and there were people taking advantage of each other. The citizens of Israel were lying and cheating to one another, and God has had enough of it, so he sends Micah to say, listen, do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. That is what you need to focus on. You're, you're missing the point. And there's nothing inherently wrong with, paying with them paying attention to Assyria, right? In some ways, if you think about it, like it's not surprising that this is what Israel would do because this is what nations do. Every nation cares a lot about its national security, which is essentially what Israel is concerned about. Every nation spends a lot of money on defense and keeping things safe to avoid external threat or resist external threats. 
The problem isn't Israel paying attention to Assyria. The problem is that it's causing Assyria, it's causing Israel rather, to miss the focus of within their borders and what's going on. So they never actually deal with the problem that God has sent Micah to address, which is how they're living. But it isn't just them, right? We do this too. We, we do it in our own lives, and we certainly live in a place that does this. Paying attention to the external threat that is around us. There are endless external threats to Christians today in our world. And we could pick something with politics. We could pick a cultural issue, whichever one gets you particularly most worked up, you know, because you feel like it's threatening you or the church or, or Christianity in general. And I'm not saying this morning that those things don't matter. I think they do. I'm not saying that we shouldn't talk about them because I think that we should. What I am saying is that we can so easily start living in fear from all the external threats. Right? This political movement, liberals said this, conservatives said this, our country's changing and I don't like it, our world is changing and it bothers me, our nation is different than it used to be. We can, come, we can become so focused on all of that, even become focused on a particular cultural issue, right, that we never actually pay attention to the work that God wants us to do. And we never have to look far for something to identify as a threat to the kingdom of God. We see those all the time if we're sort of paying attention. There's always something to be afraid about or concerned about. But what I want to suggest this morning as we wrap up this series to all of us, myself included, is that when we get like this, that we are at risk of behaving like Israel was behaving in Micah's day. Because nations and individual people are easily lulled into paying so much attention to external threats outside their walls that they fail to actually deal with their own hearts. And what God has sent Micah to say is, look, your heart is what I'm after. And if the heart gets addressed, then other things, other dominoes are going to fall just as a natural result of that. Micah's saying in, six, in Micah 6, he's, these are my words, but he's essentially saying, you guys, God loves you and God has shown you how to live. God wants you to be more focused on the formation of your spiritual life, your heart, than Assyria. Assyria is going to be Assyria. But Micah says, if you want God, if you want to see God at work in the world, it will start with you. And I want to say to us this morning, if we want to see God at work in the world, it will start with each and every one of us. And so here's what he, you do, Micah says. You, you begin by doing justice, by loving mercy, and by walking humbly with God. In many ways, this, this one verse is a, it's just a simple call to live your life with intentionality. It's a simple directive, right? To just live for us, we would say, like Jesus has commanded us to live. Of course, the people that Micah was speaking to didn't have Jesus as a reference point, but we would say, essentially what Micah is saying is, follow Christ. Live the way that you saw Jesus live. Jesus gives instructions about how we are to function. What, what, are, our, what are our instructions as we follow God? in the world, as we recognize all the varied threats that, that are about us, that are around us, that are outside our borders, if you will. And one of the first places that Jesus 
speaks to this life that he's called us to live is in his very well-known, very famous first public sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And, And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Today, we think about salt. Salt is cheap. It's accessible, easily accessible. But it wasn't that way in the ancient world. Right? Good salt was difficult to come by, and it was of great importance because salt was best known. It was known for a number of things, but it was best known as a preservative. And salt was used to keep food from rapidly decaying or going bad. And so it's essentially what Jesus is saying. He's calling his followers to be salt of the earth. And he's saying, your role is to preserve life and to prevent the decay of the world around you. And then on top of that, Jesus adds this next line. He says this in Matthew 5, 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In Jesus' day, towns were mostly built on hills or on cliffs, right, which helped prevent from outside attacks because it's something that people have always been concerned about from the beginning of time. People would have been familiar when Jesus is speaking these words with this idea. In fact, Jerusalem was built on the highest point of that region, on a hill. And so it would have been impossible to miss, as, you, as, they're, as, you're, as they're hearing Jesus say these words, impossible to miss what he's saying, right? They are familiar with what it looks like to see a town on a hill. You could see it from miles and miles away. And if you could see it from miles and miles away and you're traveling, you know it's, it's a reference point. It's, it's, you're drawn toward it. Your eyes and your body are literally drawn toward it. When we turn on, if you think about, uh, just as an aside, so we're going to go to Israel in 2024 if you want to go with us. And one of the things that I'm really excited about about that trip is that at one point in our trip, we're going to stop and there are psalms in, in the book of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And that because you, on, when the Israelites would have read these psalms and sung these songs as they were going up to Jerusalem, right? So they're very familiar with this idea of a city on a hill. And so Jesus is saying, look, in addition to being salt, you are also light. You're a city on a hill. I want you to think, I want us to think this morning about what it is exactly that he's saying. He's saying that your life as salt has the ability as a preservative, as a preventative, to resist the work of the enemy. Your life has that ability as a follower of Jesus who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Your life has the ability to resist the work that the enemy is doing in the world. And your life, Jesus also says, as light, has the ability to not only be seen by other people, but to make Jesus more visible in the process. Right? And what I mean by that is this. Here's, a, here's an example to explain that maybe better in a better way. When you and I go into a room and we turn on a light, no one, unless the light bulb is burnt out, no one turns on a light and then ter- look, stares at the light. 
right? You turn on the light to illuminate everything else in the room. And this is essentially what Jesus is saying about your life. He's saying you are light. And when your life gets turned on to Christ, you have the ability through God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to illuminate the lives of other things around you and the other people around you. To make God more visible in the process. And the goal, right, this is what we understand, the goal is to not make our lives more visible or to give ourselves more recognition or credit or glory. The goal is to make Jesus more famous, to, make, to point people toward Christ, to help people fix their eyes on Jesus. And this, in many ways, I'm using these words from the Sermon on the Mount because I believe in many ways this is what Micah has been saying. Salt and light are, are active they're not passive. They, they, they actively engage in the world around them. And Micah has been urging action. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Do and love and walk are active words. They require you to get up and do something with your life. Right? He's saying that we are never more fully living into the way that God desires us to live than when we are doing and loving and walking. This is the thing that God requires and it's not something just to be thought about, Micah says. It's something to be done. It's practical. And so the question that I want to pose as we kind of bring this series to a close this morning is where do we start? Right? How, how do you think about and what, do you, what are some steps that we can take to thinking about doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God? First of all, I want to acknowledge, as I kind of referenced and spoke to a minute ago, that I do believe we are living at a unique point in the history of the world. And it would be very easy for all of us to feel overwhelmed with the state of the world currently as we know it, wouldn't it? Like we know, we are all aware of, we could list them, all the external challenges that are are constantly and in seeming, seems like increasingly uh, resistant to the way of Jesus Christ. More and more and more, just to identify a couple of them, there are people that are walking away from faith and church every day, no longer interested in Jesus from some bad experience they've had or something that happened in their own life, whatever the reason may be, uh, that's happening more and more and, every, more and more every day. And as I said a minute ago, there are cultural and moral and ethical issues around every corner. There are justice issues that need to be addressed. And you add to those things like economic struggles and tension in our country that seems to happen around race and politics and tense ele election cycles. And then you have wars in Ukraine and you have earthquakes in Syria and you have Chinese spy balloons. And like, you're like, we could just go on and on and on. The list is never ending. There's poverty and homelessness and AIDS and orphan care and mental health crisis and suicide that's happening at a rapid rate. Like there's, there's so much to feel overwhelmed about. Am I right? And it's a lot just to even name those handful of things. And I want to begin, I think it's really important to begin, if we're going to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God, I think it's important to begin that we're living at a really unique time, which means that we have to sort of re-engage with this commitment that we've made to Jesus and say, regardless of the external threats that are outside the camp, regardless of the external things that are outside the borders of our, of our life, we will not give in to the pressure that those things 
bring, we're going to instead focus our heart, focus on our heart and focus on God forming and shaping us to look more and more and more like Jesus. I think prayer is an essential part of this because prayer recognizes that we are limited in what we can do. Prayer acknowledges, God, this is your work, and we are participants in it. This is one of the reasons we're praying this Lord's Prayer every single Sunday. God, it's your kingdom, and we're praying for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that earth, I've taught this in the past many, many years ago, but that earth is, that word earth is, is the same word that is used for uh, the word when, when it, when it God, Genesis describes God creating Adam out of the dirt, the earth of the ground, right? So essentially the way I think about that prayer is, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, like the planet, as it is in heaven, but also, God, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth, on this piece of dirt, as it is in heaven. And what we're doing when we pray that prayer is we're saying, we need your help. We see all the external threats, but we want your life, Jesus, to change our life, and we want it to begin there. And I also think that it helps us to recognize and hold on to all the things with an open hand and know that God is still at work and God is still in control and that we are limited in what we can do, but we still are called to be faithful. Years ago, I learned about an ancient document that some of you may have heard of. It's called the Talmud. Uh, the Talmud is a, a collection of ancient, this is like a summary of what it is. It's like a collection of ancient Jewish teachings uh, from Jewish rabbis from hundreds of years ago. It, it's essentially uh, the, you know, Jew, like the Jewish commentary of these, this, these rabbis, rabbis that would have contributed to this, this kind of collection of writings it's their commentary about various Old Testament passages. Uh, it's sort of some, some reflect. It's like sermons, essentially. It's like, you know, which is really what a sermon is. It's a person taking Scripture, reflecting on it, thinking about it, and then communicating some truth from that, right? So it's essentially a collection of rabbinic, like ancient rabbinic teaching on Scripture. Uh, and for a mo- even for a modern-day Jew today, it's a familiar document. People know what it is. And so it, one of the writings in the Talmud speaks about Micah's words in Micah 6, 8. And, and years ago, I stumbled on it. I actually have it written on my dry erase board in my office. And I believe that it provides some really useful guidance. And I want to use it to kind of end this series. I think it's helpful, a helpful way to, how to, to think, gives us a helpful way to think about and to apply what Micah says. And so this is what it's, listen to how this ancient Jewish rabbi talks about this passage. It says, Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. I love this line. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Right, and like I said, years ago I stumbled on this, but it's been a helpful way for me to think about, how, giving me some way to think about what I think Micah is saying here. Because if you're like me, you have questions like, where do I start and how do I know if my life is actually making any difference in all the things that I see happening in the world around me? How do, we, how do I know if my life is making a difference in my little world that I'm living in? 
It reminds me that my job, that your job, is not to solve the problems of the world, though I'm going to try, and I think you should too. Our job as, as followers of Jesus is to continue to be faithful. Our job is not to solve the problems of the world, but we also do not get to turn away from them. Our job is to do justice now and to love mercy now and to walk humbly now with whatever life we, get, we are given. Your job is to be salt and to be light, to preserve and prevent decay and to shine the light of Christ into every dark place that you go. And what that looks like often is that we just, we're just throwing seeds on the ground. We're living our life trying to be faithful to God, being consistent, being people of character, being people who are faithful to God. And we may never see the fruit that gets produced as a result of the life that we live. Jesus talks about this, right? There's going to be fruit that gets produced that will happen much later. After we're all, probably some of us are gone, we'll never know the impact that our life had. Our job, that's what salt and light, that's what happens when you're salt and light. You follow Jesus and you lead other people to him because it is in Jesus alone that we believe we have found life, we have found hope, and that we have ultimately found salvation. It's Jesus that we believe has something to offer the world around us. And so we keep talking about him. We keep sharing our faith. We keep encouraging other people to join us on the journey, not because we have it all figured out or because we have it perfected, but because we believe that Jesus is worth giving our life to. And the work will never be complete. The work will never be complete in any of our lifetime. The work won't be complete until the Lord comes back. But it also is not, we can't give up on it. We are required to keep at it, participating with God in, with, in transforming a world that is oppressed and that is dark and that is broken. And we do this until our very last breath. Amen? You know, O oh mortal, what the Lord requires of you. Micah has given us a clear vision. We have clear spiritual sight because of the truth of this passage. And now... We have the rest of our lives to live into that truth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that by, simply by the, the, the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, we can, can embrace this promise that we're not, we're not daunted by the enormity of the world's threats, the threats that the world brings upon the name of Jesus. Because we know where the victory comes from. We know who has won the battle. And that is who we are following, Jesus Christ. And so we pray, God, today that you'll give us a renewed sense of urgency and commitment to continue to be about the work that you have called us to be about in every aspect of our life. That what we, how we are at work and at home, and with our kids, and with our grandkids, and with our friends, and in the grocery store, and at the ball game, and wherever, on the road, wherever we go, like the, who we are in all of those spaces, it matters. The conversations we have, and the things we do when everybody is watching, and the conversations we have, and the things we do when nobody is watching, all matter. 
And may we be people, Father, who are continually shaped and formed to look more and more like Christ, where we've, we've surrendered ourselves to you. And today we want to do that again, Father, and ask for you through your spirit to, to give us encouragement to live in the way that you have called us to live. We're thankful, Father, for, the, for Micah's uh, words to the people of Israel that still speak to us today in 2023. And we pray, Father, that you'll give us the courage to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with you. Knowing that we may never complete the work in this lifetime, but also that we are not free to abandon it. And we thank you, Father, that Christ is with us each step of the way. We pray through his name. And the church said this morning, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing another song together. I want to invite uh, each Sunday people to respond in whatever way you may need to respond. Certainly, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, today is a good day to do that. And uh, we would love to celebrate that with you and talk to you about baptism and what that would mean for you. Uh, we also recognize it may just be today. A day, today may be a day where we just want to renew our commitment as we conclude this series to think about the life that we're living and who we are and who we're becoming because of Jesus Christ. And so however you need to respond this morning, let's do that while we sing this song together.